serve a faithful God. Amen. Let's take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, welcome those around you to our service this morning. On your bulletin cover, we read these words, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This morning, we were to have a Gideon with us, and we've been looking frantically and we haven't found him yet. Tom, you're not here, are you? All right, well, um, these things happen. You know, I don't know if weather related or uh, health or whatever it might be, but uh, we know the work of the Gideons. And that's the reason I actually read this verse. They, 
or a group who firmly believe that it's the Bible that changes lives. The Bible changes lives. When you read it, when you study it, you memorize it, you meditate on it, your life is changed. And thus, God gave us his word. Well, having said that, <laughs> I'm not going to preach on the Bible. Um, I'm going to ask Leonard to come and lead us in the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, uh, hymn number 224. Let's sing this together. We'll forgive you this time. Don't let it happen again. <laughs> Just kidding. Has been for repose. 
Take your prayer sheet, if you would, please, and let me point out a few of the folks that we've been praying for. Uh, right there in the very uh, first line, Frank Fox, uh, we were told that uh, we can remove his name now from the list, that Frank is doing much better, and that's always a good thing to be able to take a name off and uh, know that our prayers have been answered. So um, continue to pray for him, but um, he's doing doing much better. Good to see Missy with us this morning as well. Uh, I talked to her during the greeting time, and uh, she's doing much better as well. So uh, we thank you all for your prayers on her behalf. Uh, continue to pray for Nancy Wilbert. Uh, she remains at the Helen Simpson Rehabilitation Hospital, number 278. Uh, she did have a birthday this past Friday, and I think, what she, I think she said or someone said she got upwards of about 50 cards. So uh, we wanted to shower her with cards, and, and uh, it was very successful. Um, she actually had a little party uh, there in the hospital on, um, on Friday night, and um, it, was, it was nice. She was surprised, and it was just a good time. So pray, please pray for her. Uh, she's come a long way, but uh, has a long way to go. So God has been good, and God is faithful, as the choir sang. Uh, so you continue to pray uh, for her. I also learned this, this morning uh, that Jerry and Sue Miller, uh, they're not here, are they? They had a fire in Jerry's wood shop, uh, was it yesterday, I believe, uh, and, and it burned down. It was uh, near the house, I guess near the barn, but nevertheless, uh, there wasn't any damage to those buildings, but I guess the wood shop had quite extensive damage, so uh, we want to pray for that situation as well. So, Father, as we bow before you, we are thankful that we can bow before you. Uh, Lord, what a privilege to be able to come before you this morning as your body, as your church. Be able to lift into your presence our praises. And, Father, there are many. Father, you have done so many good things on our behalf. Father, just to think that we can meet together today, this morning, to be in this building, to be able to, Lord, call upon you, be surrounded by the saints, to be able to open the word of God, to be able to sing praises. Father, what a joy it is. What a blessing it is to be here this morning. So guide us, we pray, in all the things we do. Father, Father we are thankful for this church. We are thankful, Lord, for ministries such as the choir, Awana, Sunday school, Father, the ladies that work so faithfully in the nursery. Father, for the ushers, <coughs> the greeters. Lord, and the list goes on. Faithful people who, Lord, have been loyal and devoted to you to serve you with joy. Father, we also want to bring before you these <coughs> folks that we have mentioned. We are thankful for the prayers you have answered on behalf of Frank. We thank you, Lord, that he's doing much better as, long, as well as Missy. Father, we thank you for uh, raising her up and pray, Lord, that you would continue to add and give strength uh, to these folks. And Father, we do pray for the Jerry Miller family. Father, they've lost something now. Father, it might be physical, it might be something that can be replaced, but uh, Father, this, uh, it's always difficult. Lord, to be in a situation such as this one. 
And so we pray, Lord, that you might watch over them at this time and comfort them and strengthen them. Lord, our prayers continue to go out on the behalf of Nancy. <clears throat> Father, we know that uh, she has been through a lot. Father, more than a lot of people. But Father, you've been good. Father, you've strengthened. You've, you've healed her in so many ways. But we pray that it continues. That through the rehabilitation and the therapies, that Father, she would continue to get stronger be able to speak better, to be able to get up and around a little bit more. And thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of her husband, Tim, who has been beside her through thick and thin, every step of the way. What an example to all of us of wedding vows that need to be taken seriously in sickness and in health. And so we pray for strength on Tim's behalf. Lord, as he travels back and forth day after day after day, that you give him all that he needs to be able to care for and comfort and encourage his wife. Again, Father, for the day you've given us, we thank you. We pray your blessing upon it. Lift us now into your very presence through music once again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, Tim, Tim Wilbert uh, called me on, on the phone, and he said, Tony, I just heard this song. I'm driving to the hospital. I just heard this song on the radio. And, uh, man, it would just be such a great song to sing at church. And it spoke to his situation, and, and it was just such an encouragement to him. And so we've been planning to do the song for three weeks, but we got snowed. Technology didn't work last week, and so it's a third time's the charm, right? Um, so we're going to sing just the beginning of it, and then we'll ask that you stand and sing with us here in a moment.
Father, to stand on your promises and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, who's going to win tonight? I wasn't expecting anything to be said. We don't want to go there. The team with the highest score. <laughs> you know, we, I, I, I suppose we all have our favorites. You know, you have your favorite team, maybe because it's not a Pennsylvania team tonight, you really don't care. Um, nothing wrong with having favorites. Nothing wrong with having a favorite team. Nothing wrong with having your favorite food item or favorite TV show. Maybe you have a favorite activity or a hobby. But when it comes to people, when it comes to your relationships with other people, it does matter. Because the Bible is quite clear that we are not to show favoritism, but we are to treat everyone alike. Alike with love. Pastor James, in the book in which we've been studying, he has a problem in his church. You know, I've heard it said, well, if we just could go back to the first century church. Let me tell you something. <laughs> they had problems back then, as we have problems today. And the problem in his church was a problem of favoritism. The problem was that some people were showing favoritism toward the rich. Now today, it doesn't stop there. We often show favoritism in so many different areas. Appearance, age, achievements, race, intelligence, we often treat people differently who are attractive, who are young, those who get good grades, those who have the same skin color, those who have a lot of money, those who drive a really nice car, those who are popular. And we put labels on people. We label people just as designers sew labels in their clothing. And then they, we allow the label to tell us what people are and what they're worth. And so if you value intelligence, we label children as fast learners or slow learners. If you value money, 
we look at people as well-to-do or poor. If you value physical appearance, it's those are attractive. These are unattractive. We must develop the kind of love that sees through the labels and treats everyone alike. So let's look at the church in Jerusalem and see how we as the church in Halifax can learn from their experience. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 2. And Pastor James, he writes to us this morning the words he wrote to his church so many years ago. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a law breaker. The first thing I see in this text is that we are to be fair with everyone. That we are to be fair with everyone. James begins by addressing the church as brothers and sisters. He speaks of them as being believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, James understands that this is a family matter. When something happens within the church, it's a family matter. It's just not that person's matter or that person's matter. But as a body of Christ, when one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When there's a problem, it's our problem. 
And James, when he uses this word brothers and sisters, it often speaks of that, that he's getting ready to point out a change that's needed within the church. A change that needs to be made in the life of the body. And James is about to unleash a scathing rebuke against all forms of prejudice, snobbery, and favoritism. And so the command is found right in the beginning. Don't show favoritism. The word favoritism in the original language literally means to accept the face. To accept the face. In other words, to turn toward one and turn away from another based on appearance. In this church, they were turning toward the rich, toward that one wearing fine clothes and gold jewelry, and turning against the poor. Back in the book of Samuel, when Samuel was asked of God to select another king, and he goes to Jesse, who had sons, and Samuel began to look at this son and that son and this one over here. And he was looking at appearance. He was looking at the height and the strength. And God says, none of that. For the Bible says God looks not on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so the problem James was having was people were looking at the outward appearance. They were showing favoritism. They were accepting the face. I want to read this illustration because what James does, he gives us the command, don't show favoritism, and then he illustrates it. He drives home the point by telling this story. And I want to read it from the message translation. It says this, if a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him and you say to the man in the suit, sir... Uh, here's the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, better sit over here in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who cannot be trusted? So that's the illustration. Whether it was true, maybe they had an experience just as this. Maybe not. But he uses this as an illustration to show that they were prone to show partiality to the man who's wearing the expensive suit. And this is discrimination. You know, let's face it. We all tend to judge the better off as better. We often give preference to those who look good or maybe they can make us look good or maybe they can do something good for us. Perhaps. This church was looking at this man in this expensive suit with all the fine jewelry. And they thought, boy, what is he going to put in our offering today? Maybe we need to really treat him well. We'll give him the best seat in the house. There's, there's certainly something special he can do for us. He also mentions at the end of verse 4, becoming judges. Can you imagine a judge in the court of law? who was affected by the clothing of the defendant. 
what kind of justice would be that? So in making these distinctions between the rich and the poor, they didn't realize that they were becoming judges with evil, evil thoughts. And James points this out to his church, that favoritism is evil, vicious, and cruel. It's destructive. And James says it's sin. Because when you determine in your mind who is special and who is not, you are so unlike God who treats everyone with love. God doesn't care one bit what you look like or how much money you have or how educated you are, the color of your skin, how you dress. When during James's church or Word of Life Chapel, when we discriminate or judge or show favoritism, we cease to be like God, a God of unconditional love. The second thing I see in this text is this, recognize your own contradictions. Recognize your own contradictions. When we come to verses 5 through 7, James asks four questions, all requiring the answer yes. Four questions that often show contradictions that reside within us. Notice these questions in verse 5. He says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Yes. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Yes. Are they not the very ones who are dragging you into court? Yes. Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Yes. So James is saying, why are you partial to the rich. They are the very ones who are oppressing you. They are the very ones who are exploiting you, persecuting you. You see, in James's day, the rich were the ones who oppressed the poor. They did it in many different ways, but oftentimes they would drag them into the courts, and through legal means, they would rob them of their monies. And not only that, but he says, these are the very ones who are blaspheming the very name of Jesus. And yet you're showing favoritism to them? David Jeremiah, and I quote him uh, quite often, uh, he says this, because we have to be careful when we talk about the rich. That we're not like lumping everybody together. James was not denouncing wealth per se as evil. Neither was he advocating reverse discrimination, whereby the poor are to be favored at the expense of the rich. What James was arguing was is against any kind of favoritism. At this point, he was showing how logical logically and morally inappropriate his readers' particular kind of discrimination was. 
It may be helpful to understand that James may have been using the term the rich with the same definition that Jesus did when he said those who trust in riches, not merely those who possess money. The Bible never says money is wrong. The Bible never says that to have money is wrong. The Bible never says that to be rich is wrong. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So we're not talking about all who have money, but these who are trusting in their riches, who are being, or who are exploiting the poor. Without thinking, these believers in this church, these brothers and sisters, these who are part of the body of Christ, they were actually pandering the very ones who was causing their pain. When we started this book, we, we read the very first verse, which says that James is writing to the 12 tribes that were scattered among the nations. They were being persecuted, and so they ran away from Jerusalem out into the world. And a big part of that, a major source of their persecution, were the rich that made them run. And so James, he begs his readers to look, look at your suffering. Look at your suffering and identify the major source. And why would you show favoritism toward them? Suppose someone some Sunday morning uh, came to our church, a rich and famous I don't know who that is, a movie actress, maybe a football pro professional, and they came through those doors. How would we react? You know, I, uh, back in 2002, I had to go back to some of my notes and uh, look this up. As I was studying this, a name popped into my head. Uh, his name is Jay Yellis. Now, that doesn't probably mean anything to anyone here, except maybe you who are um, Bass uh, fans and watch Bass shows on television. But Ye Jay Yellis, back in 2002, he won the Bass Masters Classic, which is the Super Bowl of bass fishing. Jay Yellis was a Christian. probably Well, still is a Christian. And I remember when he won, you know, I, he had a book, and I got the book, and I was reading it. And sometime after 2002, I don't know when it was, but down in Harrisburg at Bash Pro Shops, they have a spring classic. It's the start here in a few weeks for you bass fishermen. They have big sales and they take two weeks and have things for the kids and seminars and lectures and all those kinds of things down in Harrisburg. And I saw after 2002, I don't know what year it was, that Jay Yellis was going to be down in Harrisburg. He was going to be one who lectured or gave a lesson on how to tie a knot or whatever he was there to do. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to run down there, and I'm going to ask him on a Saturday if he wouldn't come to church on Sunday morning. I thought that would be, be huge. If we, could get, if we could get the best bash, bass fisherman in 2002 to come to our church... My goodness, I'd call the fishermen in the area. I'd get them in. Goodness, we set up a, a, a table 
uh, he could give autographs, and we, we make this huge fuss over him. And this week I said, you know what? Why? Shouldn't we make a fuss over everybody that comes through that door who might be new to us? Why must they be the famous? Why must they be the rich? Why must they be a professional bass fisherman? Should we not treat everyone alike? And sometimes I say, you know, maybe we discriminate more than we think we do. Should we be showing favoritism toward people? Or should we be treating everyone alike? I don't know what would happen if the rich and famous would come. But I hope, I hope we fuss over all visitors, not just those who might be able to do something for us or do something good for us or be special in the eyes of the world. We should get out of our way to shake everyone's hand during greeting time and not flock maybe to someone who, oh, wow, I'm going to shake his hand. You know, maybe we do discriminate a little bit more than what we might imagine. So what, I say, James, why are you making such a big deal about this? James, you're taking a, a half of a chapter of your little book to talk about favoritism. What, what is the issue here, James? Well, James answers that question because he says it violates the royal law of God. When we discriminate, when we show favoritism, we have violated God's royal law in verse 8. The law above all laws, the supreme law, the law that governs all human relationships, the summation of every law that God has given to us, Love your neighbor as yourself. And those who discriminate, those who show favoritism, are not considerate. They're not just rude. They're not just insensitive. The Bible says they are lawbreakers and sinners. You see, the law is an expression of God's will. The law is, is God's character. It's his nature. It's who he is. And as God says to us, be holy as I am holy. God also says, love as I love. And so this great commandment called the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself is broken. Is broken when we discriminate and do not treat everyone equally. James's definition of the royal law are actually the very words of his brother, Jesus himself. Jesus was asked back in the Gospels, what is the greatest commandment? I mean, if Jesus, if you could summarize all the commandments in one, what would that be? And Jesus said, 
hear what James quotes. Love your neighbor as yourself. So why the big deal? Because to show favoritism is breaking God's royal law. And to violate one part of God's law is to break the whole. That's what James says. You just break one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole. You are a lawbreaker. You only have to break one to become a lawbreaker. It was D.L. Moody who used the illustration of a 10-link chain. And he said that this chain is like the Ten Commandments. And you held on to the chain uh, you know, over a precipice. Uh, how many links would it take for you to break that chain? Just one. Just one broken link, and you would fall to your demise. It's interesting, too, the commands that James uses, adultery and murder. He says if you, if you uh, commit adultery but you don't murder, you've broken that link. You become a lawbreaker. And the fact that he uses adultery and murder within the context of favoritism, I think also says how severe this sin really is. Prejudice, whether elitism or sexism or ageism or racism, it's not a minor fault. A failure to treat others with love as we treat ourselves is breaking God's sovereign and God's supreme law. And each time you look down on people from other races or other countries, you become a law breaker. Each time you judge based on someone's job or no job at all, or background or disability, you become a law breaker. Each time you act like a snob when you see someone who's struggling with something that you don't struggle with, you become a law breaker. Each time you separate from people who aren't exactly like you, you become a law breaker. So how do we summarize James's words in chapter 2? First of all, we need to see favoritism as a very, very serious sin. Don't look down or tolerate something that you might see as very small. You know, we lump sins and categories, don't we? These are the bad ones. These are the, uh, you know, not so bad. And often, oftentimes we put the not so bad in a category where God says, no, no, that ought to be up here in the really, really bad. Favoritism is breaking the very law of God. Don't ever think discrimination is not a big deal. Secondly, we need to develop love for all people. We need to develop a love for all people. God's love. For God, he so loved the world. Unconditionally, sacrificially, 
it's that love that we are to show to others. We're to treat others as we would want for them to treat us. So, go ahead and root tonight for your favorite team. Just don't carry that favoritism into your relationship with other people. Father, we come before you this morning and we find ourselves guilty oftentimes of treating others differently for one reason or another. Father, forgive us, but there's probably more favoritism and discrimination in us than we would like to think. This is not like you, God. So forgive us. Help us to take this seriously. Father, help us to see that this is in violation to your royal law of love. And help us, Lord, when we come in contact, even this week, with people. That, Father, we would look past the face, past the color, and we would see people as you see them. Again, we thank you, Lord, for your scripture, your word. Lord, it really does change lives. So help us to be doers and not just hearers this morning. Lord, help us to walk away and not just say, oh, we heard a good sermon. <laughs> we heard that. Lord, we need to put it into practice. That's when James says you'll be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all that I do and all that I say. Hymn number 349, we're going to sing stanza one and four, one and four, and we're going to be our, on our way. Let's stand together, please. <clears throat> May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power con all I do and say for may the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea him exalting, self-abasing. So, Father, fill us with your love. May we have the mind of Christ. And help us, Lord, as we come in contact with people this week, that we might treat all with the love that we have been shown from you. In Jesus' name. Amen.